Welcome to God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. Glad you're here. If you've been listening over the summer, you know that we've had these kind of one-off episodes, these offshoots, we're calling them, that have looked at different takes on some familiar and some foreign texts from our scripture. We've looked at John 3.16, we looked at Abraham and Isaac, and Elisha and the bears, and Jonah and the fish. And these three stories, those last three that I mentioned, among others, they touch on an important topic that we like to avoid a lot, and that's reconciliation. It's a repairing that we need to do in all corners of our lives, in all the relationships that we have, and it's been on my mind a lot this summer. And we get some pretty clear instructions on how to do it, but, and I may be speaking for myself here, I think too often we would really rather avoid heeding those instructions. So we're going to take a look at a couple of stories that teach us about reconciliation, and then I'll share my thoughts on them, and I hope you enjoy And I also hope that you enjoy today being the final time that I'll remind you to vote for God Knows Where in Best of the Pine Belt. Thank you so much to all of you who've been voting. Voting closes next Monday, July 24th, and the link is still in the show notes, and you can still vote once per day until then. And I'll keep trying to find some worthwhile photos and memes and whatever to share on social media so I won't feel totally shameless in asking for you to vote. Thank you for making God Knows Where so fun to produce each and every week. I can't wait to share some more with you about what's ahead soon, but for now, enjoy today's episode. Put it behind you. A reading from 2 Corinthians. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors and as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And also a reading from Matthew 5. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to the judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, that is, answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. There are two ways that we're called to be reconciled within our tradition. First, to be reconciled to God, and then to be reconciled to each other. Paul talks about that first kind of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians, that we've been reconciled to God through Christ, that it's past tense, it's happened, and all we have to do is act like it. Treat each other like it. Live as though the divisions and disagreements and distance between us and all of us and God has been diminished. It's easy enough, right? No, not at all. We don't want to be reconciled, and it shows all the time. I mean, if we did 
want to be reconciled in all the ways and all the relationships and all the intersections in our lives. If we did want to be reconciled, we'd at least try to act like it. But we humans have way too many axes to grind, too many grudges to bear, too many bones to pick with other people. I mean, and also the discord in our world is too profitable. I mean, look, we have two billionaires Social media owners, Musk and Zuckerberg, willing to fight in a cage match because they don't like each other. And we are here for it. The internet is a buzz about it. But Jesus gives us a script to follow in order to reconcile with one another. And that comes in Matthew, what I read to you in Matthew just a minute ago. And the actions Jesus tells us to take there are pretty easy, but they require a lot of courage. They require us to step out of our well-worn routines. And it begins as soon as we leave our homes and head to our churches. And this is where I get to tell you something that's harder than telling you that we don't want to do the first thing that Christ tells us to do. And we dismiss on a regular basis the foundational belief of our tradition that Christ reconciled us to God that Christ showed us how to live and love so we too could connect with our Creator. The hard thing i got to say is that according to Jesus' process for reconciliation, I doubt any of us should walk in the doors of a sanctuary this week. I know I shouldn't. We should leave what we have to offer there when we go to worship. We should leave what we bring with us when we leave our houses to go to worship. And instead of going into those places, we should go and find those with whom we need to be reconciled and attend to that business first. And only after doing that should we head back to church. I don't want to say that. I don't want to believe that. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know that it's true. And we know that things would be better if we could repair those relationships that are broken and causing us pain. And I realize, I realize, I realize that saying this about our worship, about going to church and and choosing not to go to church in order to actively seek reconciliation with others, I realize that saying that on a podcast that's basically like a sermon is like logging onto Facebook or Twitter and talking about how we should all get off social media and how bad it is for all of us. Or it's like shouting at the top of our lungs in a room full of people being loud to be quiet. Because we all know that the right way to drown out the sound is with even more sound, right? Loud sound. So I understand the inherent conflict in saying something like this here. But if we take Jesus and his teaching seriously, then before we head back to church next Sunday, we have to attend to the areas of our lives that need repair, and we need to be open to the fact that others may come to us to share with us that we've been responsible for the brokenness in their lives. To pursue the truth of that first kind of reconciliation that Paul talks about, we have to seek reconciliation with others, with those who have hurt us inside churches, and out in the world. We have to receive the truth others bring to us, uncomfortable as it may be to hear, and we have to find the courage to take the truth of how we've been hurt to others, 
trusting them to hear us and receive us as well. And so now, finally, after sharing all that, is where I get to say good things. I get to hopefully bring good news, the hopeful and helpful things that help us do what we need to be doing in terms of finding reconciliation and find the courage to do them. There's three things that Jesus says will lead us to being reconciled. And it starts with Jesus essentially using the same four words my mom used with me as the worrisome, anxious, uncertain child that I was. Put it behind you. I was riddled with anxiety as a child. I made myself physically ill with worry that the smallest things I'd said or done to someone else would be held against me. Not just by them, but by others and by God. I mean, in my head, as a 4th, 5th, 6th grader, I would jump from the present moment to the worst possible outcome in a nanosecond. And there was no convincing me that the worst wouldn't soon be the truth. And my mom would walk me through the worries, asking me to share them with her and to wonder alongside her if what I was worried about would matter in five years or five months or even five days, sometimes even five hours. And as soon as we'd get to my admission that no, they wouldn't matter in that amount of time, she'd say, well, then put it behind you. I'd often thought about that in terms of dismissal. Like, those aren't important things to think about, so forget about them. Put them out of sight. Out of sight, out of mind, right? But in reading Jesus here in Matthew this week, I've come to see them in a new way. Just as Jesus tells those listening to him that if they come to the altar seeking joy and connection with their Creator, but bearing a grudge or a wound, to put down their sacrifice and go and confront that issue... My mom was telling me that if I kept hauling these worries and doubts and fears around with me, that I would never be prepared to receive the joy that life, that God, that those around me were putting right in front of me each and every day. My hands and my heart would be too full to hold any room for what I was hoping to find there. Joy, love, connection, so on. The first step to reconciliation is to let go of what's distracting us from the love and joy we seek. The second step is to turn around. In order to put something behind you, you have to set it down and walk away. It's easy to get distracted, to put so much distance between ourselves and our pain that we forget. We almost forget about it. But until we address it, we still carry it around with us. So we can look for the quick fixes or the easy highs, and yes, worship can be one of those easy highs that lifts our spirits for a few moments, but then floats away the further we get from worship. Jesus knew this. He knew this to be true. He knew that we looked for those moments that could lift our spirit for however short a time, and that's why he instructs us the way he does here. We have to turn around if we want to be reconciled. We have to ignore the invitation to short-term solutions and choose instead to do the work that will relieve the pain altogether, the work that won't just leave our hands empty to receive the joy and love that God offers us, but that will clear the space within our hearts and minds to receive it as well. And the third step is to get down into it. As true followers of Christ, we must reconcile our differences with our brothers and sisters, whatever 
they may be. We must name how others have hurt us. We must confront how we have hurt them. Everywhere around the world that it's been done, we have seen that truth and reconciliation works. Whether that's far away from where I am in South Africa, or if that's right here at home in Mississippi, we have seen that these efforts towards truth and reconciliation works. People have called for it all over the place, but we're terrified of it. We're terrified of telling the truth and doing the work to reconcile with our brothers and sisters. We'd rather go about our lives without the ability or capacity for experiencing true joy with God and with each other than find a way to tell someone that they've hurt us or confront the truth that we've hurt someone else. And then go to them and apologize. I mean, think about it this way. I hate working out. I know I need to work out. I know my body needs me to do it. And we're at this point in the year where everybody wants to have a beach body or feels the need to have a beach body, but I don't have a beach body. I have a nice little TV shelf here in my midsection. But I know it. Every time I look at it, I know that I need to do something different. I need to be healthy for life in general, but also for my boys and for being there for the long haul for them. I need to do a better job to take care of my body, but I just don't want to do it. Food tastes too good. There's too much good television to watch. There's too many things to do besides working out. It's the same with reconciliation. We don't want to do it because doing it is an admission that everything isn't okay. And that we're constantly and consistently conditioned to present to the world that everything in our lives is okay, that we've got it together, that there's nothing to worry about. But the only way for everything to be okay is to admit that it's not and work through it together with our brothers and our sisters all around us. And that's important, to do it together. Because that's the hallmark of reconciliation. It's not judgment. It's not an up or down vote. It's not you're in and you're out. It's let's work through this together so we can keep doing things together, so we can keep life moving forward together. Let's not let whatever it is between us be the barrier that keeps us from finding true joy. In addition to being ready to share those things with others, we've also got to be ready to receive truth from others. We've got to be ready to hear and to be open to and to respond to the things people will bring to us and the ways we have hurt them and the things we need to do to repair that relationship from their end. On Instagram a while back, Uh, This genius woman, Marcy Alvis Walker, posted something that I love and I wanted to share with you. She has the Instagram account, Black Coffee with White Friends, and I encourage you to follow it and check out her book. I have not read her book, but I, I need to read her book. But you can find that all on Instagram. But what she said, she said she was talking about testimony. And when people share their truth with each other, There's only three responses we can have when someone comes to us and brings the truth of their story and their life with us, whether that's something we want to hear or it's something we'd rather not hear from them. She said, because testimony is not a dialogue, 
There are only three appropriate responses when someone comes to us to share their truth. The first is, Amen, this is true. The second is, Shalom, or peace, thank you for sharing, or Selah, which means I'll pause and I'll listen. Those are the only three ways we can respond when somebody comes bringing truth to us, when they seek reconciliation with us. So reconciliation is a two-way street, and we can't forget that. So you need to miss worship a few times to do this? Great. If we're not in church because we've got things we need to set down and go confront with others to repair our relationships, then it's my opinion, and I'll write you a note if you need one, to miss as much church as you need because our churches and our world and our worship will be better off in the long run if we can do the first and most important thing that Jesus requires of us, to be reconciled. And again, don't take my word for it. This is not my instruction. This comes clearly from Jesus. And for a man who taught in sometimes very confusing parables and answered questions with questions of his own, a clear direction is probably a pretty good instruction for us to heed. So let's put it down. Put it behind us. And let's turn around and get down into it. I know school is coming around the corner for some of us, but that's our homework for the week. Let's work toward reconciliation so we can put whatever is holding us back behind us and reach out in front of us to take hold of where God is leading us next. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family, and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It'll mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.